come Holy Spirit and be with us as we talk about these very weighty matters in the kingdom of God because you said that the kingdom of God belongs to children, people like children. And so I pray that we can learn from them and um, we can also be equipped to pour into them as the treasures that they are in the kingdom of God. So just be with us today and guide my um, rabbit trails that they would be good and uh, um, they would actually be uplifting and the perfect word for the moment and keep me from those things that really aren't important for today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, man. Sorry. Oh, this is great. I'm just starting. So I didn't know what to call this. I just kind of gave it a, a label, a theology of children and their formation. <laughs> and the reason I call it a theology is because I really do want to start with what is God's view of children? And how do we need to adjust our view of children um, as believers to match that? So does everybody have a sort of a guide or a form? Okay, great. So I think it's interesting that in two situations in Matthew, Jesus is responding to uh, disciples' comments about children or their, um, their attitudes towards children. And he's making a commentary. And it's funny because um, I, I was thinking about when we had our uh, baptism for our daughter, Jillian, and her cousin Cyrus Ruck was being baptized on the same Sunday. And I just remember us all being crowded up there. We had our older kids with us and Aiden Ruck had found um, a bug that he was trying to kill and he's stomping it out. And, but I mean, he kept doing it and it was on this uh, stage that made so much noise and he just kept stomping on this bug and he was so into it. And our son Ellison stretched himself out like this on the stage and was looking out on everybody, and we're trying to corral people and be present to this very important moment of a baptism. And I sat down just weary after the whole experience, and I said to my mother-in-law, you know, it's really good that Jesus said, let the ch little children come to me. And she said, and you can really understand why the disciples said, <laughs> tried to send them away. <laughs> you know, if, if what we want is a controlled environment, if what we want is a really picture-perfect picture result, we wouldn't include children. And um, so I love the way Jesus is asking us to look at the kingdom of God differently. He's not looking for people that are already perfect. He's not looking for people that have already been completely formed. He's looking for a place where his treasure can grow up. And so um, I love when he's responding to those disciples who thought that children really got in the way of ministry, which is interesting. How many times do we feel that children actually get in the way of ministry? This is the real ministry, let's, you know. And Jesus said, no, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And I really wanna look into what does it mean that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these? And then he was responding to the disciples' desire to know who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. And they're, they're arguing about who's the greatest. And he uses the example of a child. 
He puts the child in the midst of them and he says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like a child, like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives what one such child in my name receives me. So this is pretty profound, I think, uh, for our understanding of the kingdom of heaven. And so I was um, thinking of other times when, when Jesus describes what the kingdom of heaven is like in his teachings. Can you think of some that he says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, right? What else? Kingdom of heaven is like... That's okay. The same idea of a seed falling in the ground that dies. We have yeast. You know, it's like leaven that goes into a loaf. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like that. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field that's hidden, and you find it, and then you want to sell everything um, to buy it. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls and uh, finds that pearl of great price and then sells everything for it. So it's interesting that the trajectory of the kingdom of God in all of those metaphors is from small to expansive. So you start with something small that's even hidden and it just can't help but grow if the spirit is in it. Um, and so the trajectory of the kingdom of God is from small to expansive and it's from hidden to revealed. And sometimes the most precious things, right, are, are protected and hidden and guarded because they are so valuable. You know, you don't put your engagement ring, you don't take it off and stick it on top of the washing machine at the, the public, you know, wherever you go and wash your clothes, what do you call those things? Laundromats. You, there's a way that we keep those precious things hidden and protected. And so the kingdom of God is like that. So when we welcome in children to our homes and our churches, we actually enter into that paradigm of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is all about growth and expansion, but it starts small and it usually grows slowly, uh, but under the right conditions, right? Um, and, and then we're also just constantly being reminded when we're around children that God's kingdom is upside down. We don't look for his work in the grand places, but in the small places. We don't seek platforms for our influence. We actually seek a place to plant a mustard seed. We don't expect reward, but we expect slow and consistent growth by the Holy Spirit. So they, they show us, they reveal to us something of the kingdom of God. Children teach us that God posits his treasure in hidden places where we have to search, we have to sacrifice to invest, we have to have faith that, that it's truly the imperishable seed of the kingdom of God. It can't help but grow and expand. Uh, that's just what the kingdom of God does. T children teach us about the kingdom of God by their posture before God. Um, we learn by observing them, don't we? I mean, I'm sure those of you who have been in children's ministry, you see that what does Jesus mean when he says you have to be like them? Well, there is a certain abandon that they have, a, a lack of self-consciousness to entering into the presence of God and not always thinking of themselves. How do I look? How am I, 
how are people responding to me in this moment, but this sense of abandon, um, humility, that sense of I'm, I just have to receive here. I'm not the teacher here, right? I'm not the, the one that's supposed to um, have influence. I'm the one here to receive and be guided and to be led. There's something wonderful in having that posture of I need to be blessed. I need to be connected. I need to be dependent. Um, I need to be unconcerned with my influence. So there's something so beautiful in seeing what, what's in a child that I need to grow into, you know, and grow less in maybe in my adult perspective and grow into that smaller uh, posture of a child. Being a mother has really been one of my greatest discipleships for me, <laughs> not just as I disciple my children, but for me in learning how to be a follower of Jesus. And part of that is just serving my children in ways that don't get noticed, you know, and finding out, oh, this is the way of the kingdom. Nobody knows that I did this for my children, you know, and my kids aren't giving me a bonus and they're not giving me um, a raise. They're not giving me a great acc accolade. Um, they are just acting like, of course you would give this to me. <laughs> of course you'd spend your time doing this for me. So dying to myself over and over again, my own needs, my own fulfillment, my own desires, um, in order to give in the very mundane, unnoticed ways over and over again, living a hidden life um, is a path of, of transformation. It really is. And it's to be embraced as a Christian. I cannot imagine um, a better way than serving children, whether you're, they're your own or somebody else's, um, that has its hidden reward, that it has a reward the Lord gives you. It's not one that you're going to receive from them. Our churches should prioritize children because they are like those seedlings that are planted that grow into small, uh, from small mustard seeds into trees that harbor birds. They are the future of the kingdom of God. They are the treasure in the field that's hidden. They are like the leaven in the dough that grows and carries the kingdom. Um, they are the pearl hidden that must be valued at all costs. So they reveal the kingdom of God to us. Indeed, when Jesus said, if you see, receive one of them in my name, you receive me. Um, one of my children um, just had a, a very difficult uh, post-birth, and um, he needed so much from me. And for probably four years, I had to be with him constantly. I could not leave him. He had to be touching me all the time. He had to be, um, he, he would just scream if I wasn't around. And I just would have to go to the Lord and like, I don't have the emotional resources to do this. And every time I would pray about this, I would feel like the Lord would say, receive him. Receive him. When you receive him, you receive me. Just receive him. And I didn't even fully understand at that time that he was actually having a healing from things that had happened to him just by that constant reassurance of my presence and of me just welcoming him with all of his needs. Um, and the Lord made sure that I knew that it wouldn't last like that forever. <laughs> I just had to engage with what that season was asking of me and what he needed of me. So our children do catechize us 
simply by being children and being um, a central part of the kingdom of God, revealing the kingdom of God to us. But obviously, uh, that's not all that children do. We, they need to be catechized by us. So um, we have to engage with this very important responsibility. I'm sure um, that you're aware of the battle that rages over our children today, um, over our youth, and it is extremely sobering. Even as a parent, raising children in the last five years, I feel, is so completely different than it was even 10 years ago. And I am sobered by that. And it has caused me um, to reflect on what is what is the kingdom move for us as a church and as families? Because it's going to ask something more of us than maybe we've done even up till now. Because uh, the battle is more intense. And I'll, I'll say more about why, I think, and maybe what we can do about it. But um, because of this, I think that we have to engage very intentionally in catechizing our children. Our families should prioritize children because it's the kingdom pattern. You know, marriage is a sacrament of the God and his church. And whenever God unites to his people, fruitfulness results. Um, no better plan exists for bringing up disciples from the very beginning than a family. In fact, family really is a sacramental of the family of God. Family doesn't exist just for us. Family and for us to feel cozy and have a great place to go home to. Family is a sign, and the way that marriage is a sign to the world of the love between Christ and the church, family is a sign, this is the church, this is how it works. You're, you're brought in to a place where you have the fatherhood of God, where you have the motherhood of the church, where you have the embrace of brothers and sisters. And, and so families who have that vision then can bring in those who have not had that and say come be part of our family you know and I grew up in a family where we did a lot of that <laughs> we had people living you know sleeping all over our house and sometimes maybe it was a little bit much um, and we needed to know sometimes uh, you know, it was hard to navigate even for my parents to know where what are we supposed to do but that should be the conundrum that a Christian family has, right? Lord, what are you asking us to do? Who are you asking us to bring in? So um, family gives children that picture of the broader kingdom of God. This is where I start, but this is also where I'm going to be launched from. It teaches, as I said, the parents so much of what they need to know to be disciples um, as they're being made into parents. But it's really the ecosystem where children become disciples and are grafted into the universal church. So it should be concerning when parents prioritize other ministry over their own children as ministry. As if to say, this other ministry has more value than discipling my own children. Now, bringing your children along into your ministry, that's different. Um, including them in it, including them in hospitality, including them in your prayers for other people and teaching them that they have a part in the ministry, that's different. But leaving, leaving someone else to raise your children so that you can go do ministry is something that we really 
uh, need to see a red flag about. What an amazing privilege to be given an infant and to be discharged with the responsibility of catechizing that child into maturity. I mean, how, how much better can we have it, right? To be able to start from, the, from ground zero. Uh, it's very daunting, of course. But we as parents are parented by God as we embark on this daunting task. So we learn to be dependent children and humble, expecting God to teach us how to lead this little one into the arms of Jesus and the embrace of the mission of the church. <clears throat> so in doing the work of God, I am blessed, and rewards abound in doing the work of God. But family is, again, it's not for me. It is for the kingdom of God. And that is a shift that it may seem like semantics, but it's not. And I had a lot of years of feeling like family was for me. You know, and I'm building this up for me, and I'm going to have these rewards and these children whom I love, and they're all going to bring back children, you know, grandchildren for me. And, and yes, I want to send them out in the mission field, but it really helps you manage disappointments better if you realize these children belong to the Lord. I am giving to them and loving them and catechizing them, but you know, He also has a design on their lives, He has a call on their lives. I'm here to help steward that. So I'm going to spend some time casting a vision for catechizing children within a family, and then Amy's going to talk about catechizing the children within the church. And they overlap, of course, um, but she'll, she'll, she can give you a lot more about systems and building a children's ministry in a church, which is vital for every church plant and every church. Um, and, and of course, you want to work together with uh, families and encourage them, and that's another reason why even celibates and couples who cannot have children need to have a vision for families so that they can encourage families within the church and help help them as they're doing a very uh, hard work and hidden work. I don't know what we would do in our family if we hadn't had all the people that have contributed to the catechizing of our children that you know were celibates, that were couples, that loved them and came in and took them sometimes and you know it's I just it really does take the whole church to do it <clears throat> so what is the end goal in catechizing our children now this is really important um, I used to teach literature well I still do to my kids but um, I'll never forget reading as an adult uh, um, the play Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller. And in that play, the man um, is looking at his children as they've grown up, and he's seen what's happened to his children. And he makes the comment, <clears throat> I guess we had all the wrong dreams. And I thought a lot about that because we, the dreams that we have for our children are really important because we are helping shape their dreams and their expectations of, of life. And if our dream is that our children will be um, the best at whatever it is, <laughs> that, uh, and if our dream is they get into a fantastic college and they're very successful academically and they have a great job and they make enough money and they have you know, the perfect set of kids and so forth, then we will have dream dreamed all the wrong dreams. 
because really the dream that we should have for our kids is that they can be Christian, totally Christian. That means the way they think, the way they view life, and that they can do mission. So we prepare them for life by preparing them to understand that they're really pilgrims here. This isn't about making your own little kingdom in this world. You are a pilgrim. So if your child goes and adopts children, or if you choose to adopt children, and it's less than perfect, and somehow, and we have this in our church, it's devastating sometimes. People step out in this act of love that reflects the fatherhood of God, and they adopt a child into their home, and sometimes that child destroys their home. And sometimes a birth child destroys your home. I'm not saying that either, but sometimes you're bringing something in you have no idea, and then there's this questioning of, what have we done? We were just trying to obey the Lord. We were just trying to love. We're just trying to welcome somebody into our home. If you can understand that the mission that you've been given in life is not to have this comfortable sense of satisfaction about your life, then you have more room to say, what is God doing here? And how can I join him in this work? Um, so we have to help our children understand that this is not their true home. This is not their true home. But they have this adventure that they're on with God to discover the work that they're equipped to do that is uniquely theirs, that God is calling them into. So I thought it would be fun to look at this as we want our children to be 5S Christians. <laughs> so I guess you guys have heard a lot about the 5Ss, so maybe you can help me. As my husband said as I was doing this, he's like, let me see if you know all the 5Ss. <laughs> if you've got them in the right order and you know all their antecedents and everything. So hopefully I did it right. <clears throat> so we want our children to be fully scriptural. So we have to raise children in the word of God to give them a foundation stone um, that will weather any storm. A lot of Christian kids don't know the Bible. They really don't know the stories of the Bible. They don't know the themes of the Bible. Um, we were, my son was in a group of uh, fellow high schoolers talking about a movie that had euthanasia in it, and he was in total shock to hear them supporting assisted suicide. And so we had a great conversation of, well, what scripture can you point to that addresses this issue? What, what's the, what is God's view of the human person that you can bring to bear on this really important issue? <clears throat> scripture needs to be in their lives all through the day. Let me tell you, don't rely on just one way to get scripture in. It's gotta be all the time. So uh, you read it, you have times when you're just reading it, you have times when you're just studying it, or when you are studying it, you have times when you're memorizing it. And you're doing it at different times during the day in different ways because you understand it has to get in through lots of different avenues. We start uh, memorization with our children when, before they can read. Um, I recommend the company called, the, the mission called Scripture Memory Fellowship. They have all kinds of aids and books for helping children memorize. And the first one that we've always used that I grew up on even was called the ABC book. And there's a verse of scripture for every letter in the alphabet. These kids, A, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. B, but he was wounded for our transgression. I mean, they can just rattle them off. Now, you would say, are they truly absorbing this and living out of all these scriptures? Well, not yet. 
but you're trying to give them something to draw from in their imaginative life over the course of their whole lives. Children will see what we as parents prioritize. For instance, our children see us praying and reading scripture every single morning. Now, I don't do it because I think I gotta you know, make sure that my kids see this. No, it's because it's, it is a priority for us. Now, when I had very young children, I couldn't read my Bible and pray every single morning in the way that I wanted to. Sometimes it was while I was nursing a child. Sometimes it was while I was in the bathroom, you know, but leaving my Bible out or whatever. Um, so we have to, we can't idealize the way that we're going to get the Bible in. <laughs> um, you know, if I can't have my hour of prayer time, it's not going to happen. Um, and I had to work through that as a mom. Oh, I can't have my hour of prayer time. Then how am I going to do this? No, I've got to find another way. You know, it's that important. It's like getting food in. You've, if you can't, if you have to eat standing up, you got to do it. Um, so before our children can read, we even would uh, set up audio Bible stories for them or the audio Bible. And they got in the pattern of every morning, you will have a little bit of time. When I'm having my time, you'll listen to a story. Now, obviously, infants can do that. And they sit on your lap while you're reading the Bible sometimes. And that's good, too. So one way that we've tried to manage it in our week, I'm just giving you these examples as ideas. I know there are people who have probably done it a lot better than we've done it. Um, there are ways that I wish we could improve on what we've done, but I'm just throwing this out for a launching pad for you guys to go for it even more. Um, in a week, um, our elementary through middle school, because they're homeschooled, they have a, a pretty much a daily Bible study with me and memorizing of scripture, and they have memorized, by the time they're in high school, memorized many passages of scripture. High school, uh, they have a, a Bible study with me if they're at home or if they're at school, um, they have Bible class at school, but they have a weekly Bible study with their dad. So that is the, they just love it when they move into the teenage years and they get to have that Bible study with dad. And he meets with them, they have coffee, and it's just a really precious time that they, they have together. You don't have to wait till they're in high school to do that. It's just the way it worked out for us. Um, everybody has a weekly Bible study on Saturday mornings. We have a special family breakfast. We pull out our Bibles. We work through a book of scripture and we do inductive Bible study, uh, and they all participate. Um, and you know, a, a very young child can just play Legos on the floor. You know, it's, don't try to do more than they can handle. Um, we try to do evening prayer time every night, and then when there are church seasons, we do different things. Um, I remember asking Tom Howard, the, the author one time, what do you do when devotional time in your family becomes this mayhem like people arguing over where they want to sit and no that's my bible and, and you just start to think this is, <laughs> this is not at all what this is supposed to be um he said keep it short you know and just do it on their level and that really helped us and later we also did a kind of thing where we would do something with the younger kids and put them to bed and then we would do something with the older kids. Um, and, you, and that won't happen every single night, it just can't. But you do it as much as you can. So the idea is, as you're doing it more and more, uh, they're getting it from different, multiple sources of income. Um, another thing that, uh, that we've done is we keep scripture verses in the car, like cards that have them, when I'm taking my son to school in the morning. Read a verse, read my verse, read your verse, if anybody else is in the car. And it, we laugh sometimes because it'll seem so appropriate to what's going on, but we just, it's just another way. Um, 
my husband, when he did a carpool with a bunch of boys, as soon as they get in the car, he would have assigned one of them to bring a scripture verse, you know, it's your turn tomorrow, you know, he would come, they'd share the scripture verse as they got going, and then they'd have a word of prayer. So it wasn't complicated, but it was just this reminder of we live in this, you know, and that's um, so important in raising children. Scripture woven into daily life, it's referring to scripture for guidance and for help. Okay, let's move on to fully sacramental. I might spend a little bit more time here because I think that um, this might need a little bit more explanation. Being sacramental means that we believe that matter matters, right? We believe that God's presence is manifested to us in the real stuff of life. So in a family with children, this translates first and foremost into the belief that presence matters. Whether you're there or not really, really matters. Being in person with those you are to raise is essential. This is what God did. Now, it doesn't mean both parents, obviously, can be there all the time. That's not going to happen. But one parent, as much as possible, um, with the, the circumstances of your life, it should reflect the priority of my presence here matters. I can't mail it in. Jesus models this for us. It was so important for God to, to reach us that he came in person. And there were so many other ways he could have done it, but he didn't. He came in person. And he lived among them, and he, um, he was with them day in and day out. And so this is, uh, you know, we know that discipleship is imitative, right? So having them with us is very important. They, be, they learn by watching what we do. How do you react when you get an irritating phone call? How do you react when someone comes to the door and is very demanding or... Um, we, we brought home a homeless woman one time, and I was used to this because in Brazil we were always doing it, but I realized how this was very unusual for my kids. And um, they saw, oh, she's mean. She, she was not appreciative of the things that we did for her. And yet they saw me setting boundaries with her. Yes, I could take you here, but I can't take you there. And they began to realize, oh, you can actually do this for a person. You know, they, they saw that it's just by being with them they begin to see and you don't even you're not even aware that it's necessarily happening until you hear your child offering somebody a cup of tea in the same way that you do it with someone else and you realize they you know they've learned that just by watching they see how to be hospitable by setting a table um, they see how you deal with an appliance breaking down when you don't have money to replace it you know what's your reaction they're gonna see that and engage it do you call you know let's just pray right now we know God's always provided for us so let's ask the Lord and see what miracle he's going to do, you know. <clears throat> Just as we come into maturity through dialogue with God, children become persons through dialogue with those trusted people who love them. And I think that this was a, a big discovery for me to realize that children actually become persons through dialoguing. And they need constant conversation to shape their thoughts and feelings about God and their world and themselves. Who do you want having that conversation with them? Who do you want answering their questions? <clears throat> I remember when my daughter Madeline said to me, um, you know, you, I believe that what you tell me is the truth, but Muslim kids believe that their parents are telling them the truth. So how do I know? if you're telling me the truth or not. She was six years old. And 
I, I said, well, that's a really good question. I guess that over the course of your life, you're going to have to see if what we say matches up with what we live. And if there's a, a testimony there of life, of abundant life, but that is something you're gonna to have to see over the course of your life. But you know, those are things that you don't know when those questions are gonna come up. You can't schedule that for your child. On Saturday morning at this time, you can ask me those really important questions that are burning in your heart. Well, a three-year-old's gonna ask them whenever, right? Hey, Amy. <clears throat> because we're sacramental, we believe that what happens in a day is very important. What happens during the night is very important. As our are our children surrounded by invitation into intimacy? Are they comforted as they face what feels sometimes like a hostile world? Are they delighted in? Children are complete people. Their body, their soul, their spirit, their imagination, and they have psychological, spiritual, and physical needs from the time of conception. So it's not like they're sort of one-fourth of a person and then they're half of a person by the time they're a teenager, and then they're three quarters of a person by college, and then finally by adulthood, they're a full person. No, they're a full person from the very beginning. That means that it's our job to try to understand them. You know, what's going on in your mind and your heart that you feel that way or that you think that way? Um, so that we can help shape that. So one guiding line that I've used in parenting is how would I as an adult, like to be treated as a person. I want somebody really to consider what I'm saying. I want to be listened to. And now, this doesn't mean I'm going to say that we don't discipline our children and set boundaries and teach them that they're different than adults. No, they, they need to know their place. Um, they should not be holding forth and you know always interrupting conversation and so forth. But what I mean by that is if they, um, I remember that one of my children came home one time, and he was devastated by something that some a friend had said to him in the neighborhood. Now, my adult person is just like, you know, what did he say to you? And, and you just literally, you just feel like that's nothing. You know, that <laughs> that is nothing. And so what I want to say to him is, oh, just brush it off. But then you realize, no, this is really important to him. And so, you know, I had to sit down. I said, tell me what happened. Like, tell me the whole thing of what happened. And then, what did you feel like when that happened? Wow, I can see that really hurt your feelings. You know, what would you like to do about it? Do you think we need to go talk to him about it? Do you need me to go with you to talk to him about it? And he said, no, I really don't want to do that. Do you think that we can pray about just forgiving him and letting it go? I think I can do that, you know? And so, but, it, but it's given the proper place in his heart so he realizes, oh, this is how I handle something that really bothers me. Um, I feel this way about children that are left crying and aren't attended. We would hate that if we were in pain and nobody listened to us. Um, so I, I really think it's important to steer away from parenting uh, that teaches you to shut down your empathy that doesn't teach you to, to really engage with what's happening for your child in that moment. And I, I'm so thankful for the Jewish mom friend that I had that taught me um, 
at least up to one year of age, whatever your child wants is what they need. <laughs> and that just helped me um, to understand. They're not manipulating me. They're not that crafty at that age. Um, and so what they have for me is their first experience of God. And you want your child to believe God listens to me. He responds to me. He comes when I call. And sometimes when I'm ministering to people, I realize they have no place in their souls for that understanding that the Lord actually cares and responds to their, their needs. Um, it is interesting that the first love that God has given to children, is for children, is precognitive. It's in the feeling being. And we believe that when children are baptized, right, they're coming into the church, not because they understand the Trinity or they understand baptism and can explain it to you, but because we believe the child can have a relationship with Christ. We believe that even in their infancy, why? Because we believe they can have a relationship with their mother and their father. They know that they're loved. They respond uh, with joy and um, laughter when they see the, the face of someone they love. They can have that connection with the Lord, even though it's, it's precognitive. So that attachment bond that we forge uh, of responsiveness with the, the parent to the child builds this capacity in them to have a relationship with God. I think it's very important. So also, when you have to be disciplined by the Lord, what do you desire? Well, you want close connection, right? You want clear conviction and communication. You want a reassurance of forgiveness. You also want steps for reparation and restoration. You don't want to be just left out there, you know, without a way back to fellowship. So these are, I think, principles that can guide you. Um, how do I want the Lord to treat me or how do I uh, want to be treated? Then let me think of how I can look at my child and see them as a true, complete person. Um, because we're sacramental, we believe that these early years matter, whether a child can remember them or not. Um, just this year, we had major prayer times with two of our children over their birth stories. And it was something I knew needed to happen, but I was asking and waiting on the Lord for when it was the right time. When was this going to happen? And one of them, uh, he... Um, it was a very traumatic birth, but it was so interesting as I was thinking back over the birth. And it was traumatic for me. So I had to realize it was so traumatic for me. What must it have felt like for him? You know? And one of the first things the doctor said when he was out is he said, um, he's a good baby. Get him out of here. Now I need to focus on the mother. And I started just noticing that's how he feels about life. Get him out of here. There's no place for me. There's not a... And, and I've read about, because babies' um, senses are so heightened in birth, they actually do remember things that are said over them. They, they remember, they may not be able to tell you yet, but if in prayer, I've seen people actually re-experience uh, what happened, because there, it's just, how do you access it? You know, you can access it, and the Holy Spirit at the right time. But anyway, just seeing him receive our prayers over him and just go back to that moment and where is Jesus in your birth? Where was he? And what was he doing for you? And just to see how that started to shift even his perspective of 
how the world sees him and how the world receives him. So um, just in sacramental living with, with children, family love and closeness is manifested in the stuff of everyday life, right? what your traditions are, what your systems are for laundry. You know, all of these things are part of what make a family feel like, you know, they belong and they know what to expect. Manners, kindness, you know, all these things incarnate love. Um, so, you know, when my son put a sign on the door of his room, you know, anybody who enters here is under pain of death or whatever, I had to <laughs> say to him, okay, you know, what about hospitality? You know, let's think about, you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, you're called to hospitality. What does that mean? You know, and, but then you're also looking at what's happened in your room that makes you feel like your space has been violated and what can we do about that? So you're looking at it from the different angles. Um, so, we're living our daily lives understanding that the things that are so small can actually carry meaning, um, they can carry love, they can be a place of discipleship. This assumption that children can engage the Lord at every developmental stage helps us avoid talking down to them. And you know, First Timothy, I love 4.12, uh, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Children too can access life of Christ and to live as Christians. Uh, none of Christ's commands have an age disclaimer, right? Um, it's the same Holy Spirit that inhabits a child, that inhabits an adult. So it's teaching them how to live in the Spirit, which is going to lead me right into full of the Spirit. Um, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So our desire is for our children to be in love with Jesus, to worship him freely, give their lives to the kingdom. We can do everything in our capacity to make it more likely that that's what they'll do. We sacrifice ourselves, you know, we do, we do all those things. We give them that closeness that gives them the psychological brain formation and they can connect with the Lord, we surround them with scripture, we do all of that, but we cannot make our children Respond to the Lord in humility and repentance and affection. This is an activating work that only the Spirit can do. I remember praying with my sister-in-law for both of our uh, oldest children. And we'd say, you know, they know the right answers, and, and we love that, and they, they do what's right, but there's not the spark of love for Jesus. Let's pray for that. And we cried out to the Lord, light that spark in our children. And, and, of course, my husband and I were praying for that. And it was so beautiful to see. For my daughter Madeline, it was confirmation. She was totally different after confirmation. Something about the presence of the Lord really descending on her. For other children, it's been other things. For my um, nephew Aiden that we were praying for, it was a missions trip. And, and so you're, you're just praying for that. But, of course, if we hadn't had her at confirmation, you know, that opportunity actually created a vehicle for the presence of the Lord. Um, so it takes awareness and discernment. So uh, I, I do think it's very important for us to have the long-term perspective of our children's walk with the Lord and give them space to develop into that. Because we can really confuse perfect behavior 
with um, heart love and, and heart commitment to the Lord. And um, we can overvalue perfect behavior sometimes. I'm not saying we have to value discipline and um, teaching them the way of the Lord. But we cannot mistake good behavior as a life that's actually vibrant with the power of the Spirit to live. And, and we need to be careful that we don't get ourselves caught up with what we want to see in our kids and control them um, and make them do it a certain way that's right because we feel better about ourselves. And believe me, I've been embarrassed many a time by things that my kids have done. And I have to check myself. Okay, Lord, am I embarrassed because this looks like I'm a bad parent? Am I embarrassed because we should have done a little better? Um, where, where are you here in this? Is this about me or my child? You know, and how can I actually use this opportunity to uh, get them closer to the Lord? Um, so even though it would be wrong to assume that our children can't be Christian, even when their cognitive capacity can't match their heart capacity, it would also be wrong to assume that they'll just be Christians because we are. Um, they have to have those engagement of their hearts and their minds. And we have, even though our children are baptized as infants, we really encourage them to engage their will in, an, uh, in a time when they choose the Lord. And each of them has had a time when they actually experience that. I, I want this. I'm choosing this. I'm embracing this. Jesus, I want to draw near to Jesus. So if you guys are involved in ministry, I just want to put a little plug in here for your kids will be very observed. And, and that is extremely hard. It's been very extreme, very hard for my kids. Um, to to feel observed, commented on, you know, they just want to be normal kids. Um, so it's a fine line between saying, well, I can't change the fact that God's put you in our family and that this is the calling on our family, so you have to be leaders, yes. Um, but I also have to give them space to um, develop and know that they have the space. So, um, for instance, I think it's really important to encourage our children to participate in the service like I want you to stand up when it's time to stand up I want you to open your Bibles I want you to follow along I want you to sing during worship so that the Lord can meet you but I'm not going to dictate to them what that looks like and you know over time I've watched my kids get more free with opening their hands up and I just watch it out of the corner of my eye I'm just thanking the Lord but I don't want them to feel like my mom's watching me you know and, um, uh, one time <laughs> A couple of years ago, Beckett went up to the cross on one of the services during Holy Week, and he was up there for a really long time. I mean, we didn't know what was going on, but he was up there. And he came back, and later uh, his sister said to him, Beckett, what was happening for you at the cross? And he said, I was bathing in the Lord's presence, which was so precious, you know. He's obviously heard people say that, but, you know, it was... It, it was just so he wanted to be there. And so you give them opportunities to share, I think, with the understanding that it's theirs to share. You know, he, he could have chosen not to share. But he, he knows that there's also an opportunity to verbalize that. Um, so habits make way for the heart. Um, so it's important that children ta are taught habits that will make them more likely able to respond to the Lord. Uh, so, for instance, um, our children are all in club sports, not all of them, but most of them, and it's impossible not to have games on a Sunday. 
that is the way it is. If your kids play sports, there are games on Sundays now. It didn't used to be that way, but it is now. So we told our kids, you will never, ever miss church for a game. And you just need to understand that. It, it could put you in a bad place on the team. It could mean that the coach, but our priority is this life lived out in the church. That is separate. So if it's in the afternoon or the evening, and we can get you there, that's great. But I'm not going to leave church early to take you. I'm not going to, you know. We've had coaches calling, can I pick him up at church, you know. And, um, and I love the way they have, because of that, they've properly positioned this in their lives. And I've heard them, like, I'll say, oh, I heard that you, you guys actually had a game on, you know, like at 1230 on Sunday. Um, you know, maybe we could have gotten you there if we'd gone to the early, oh, I didn't even ask you because I, I already told my coach I couldn't make it, you know. And, and so I think there's a way that we help shape their priorities um, so that they understand where, what is the life of a Christian? You know, how do I live that out? From time to time, we have a family prayer time, and when we put each family member one by one in the middle of the circle, and we just pray for that one. And we, we say to the children, just pray out what images you see, prayer pictures, and believe me, it's a risk, right? But usually, it's amazing what they hear from the Lord. And so part of what you're teaching them is you can hear the Lord. You can... You can receive from the Lord, and you can share it. Um, and we've had some funny moments. Um, one time, one child was praying for Charlotte, his cousin, and he said, I see you as a missionary in Wales, or something like that. Now, later, we're like, who knows? <laughs> you know? But like Charlotte, you know, it's really OK. If you <laughs> this was coming from an eight-year-old. <laughs> but at the same time, they learn you participate and you can share. And we have had children get prophetic words. We've had them get prophetic dreams. And um, again, I would say it's just really important to encourage that in your children, but not put weight on it like, oh, you're so prophetic. Okay, all of a sudden they feel like I've got to deliver. I got to deliver all the time. Instead of, wow, it sounds like you really heard from the Lord. That's, that's wonderful. You know, you could bless somebody if you shared that. Um, it, it encourages them, yes, it confirms. I have heard from the Lord. Um, and I can continue to hear Lord, and I can share that and encourage other people. <clears throat> Free to sacrifice. So living together in a family life is a wonderful place to learn sacrifice, right? Uh, do you need the bathroom next, or do I need the bathroom? You know, and working out these details, that's where sacrifice happens. It's in the small places, and it takes guidance by the parents. And one of the, a common question that our children hear when we're trying to resolve a conflict in our home is, were you honoring him or were you honoring her? And it's, were you honoring her when you took the biggest piece? You know, were you honoring his need for quiet when he does his math, which he has asked for you to give to him over and over again? Um, we also try to teach our children to be aware of the needs of others by serving. Like if you go babysit in a family's home, do something extra for them. You know, wash their dishes or clean out their fridge or, you know, fold their laundry. Do something so that you're serving somebody you're aware of what they might need. And I've really seen this growing in my children. It takes time. Again, you're looking at perspective. Yes, do I have to beg my boys to do dishes? 
But now I see them doing it without being asked sometimes. I'll come home and, who did the dishes? Oh my goodness, <laughs> this is amazing. Um, of course we teach sacrifice as it relates to money. We expect our children to give regularly and we teach them how to do that. And whenever there's been a capital campaign, we expect them to pray and ask the Lord, how much do I give? And our college students would sit down, can we have a time with you? This is what I feel like the Lord's telling me to give, but I'm wondering if it's the right amount, is it too much, is it not enough? And just, um, we want them to take that seriously. You are a working member of the church, and I know you're gonna talk more about that. Um, so one of the ways that we build imagination for sacrifice is by reading them great literature that shows sacrifice. And that's biographies, that's you know um, any great literature that shows people sacrificing and the rewards that are delayed, you know, the rewards that come in the future um, and also just having people in your home that, that show that and you can point it out. You know, isn't it amazing that that person did that for us? You know, they took the time to make a meal for us. When, look at what's going on in their family. Um, when Stuart was really, really sick um, after Nigeria, we came home, Stuart was at home, but we came home from a, a Holy Week service I think he was at home, maybe he wasn't, I can't remember. But um, there was this sheep cake sitting in front of our door. And when I read who it was from, I, I just could not believe it. There was this family in our lives, they have a, a severely disabled child, so much so that one person in their family has to stay up with her every single night. So they rotate so that she doesn't choke. And the teenagers take a shift and they, and um, their life is one prof profoundly lived in uh, just, you know, sacrifice and love for someone who can never repay them. They drove all the way from Downers Grove to, to drop a, a cake off for us because they knew Stuart had, had a rough time. And I mean, I could hardly, I'm like, our suffering is just not even near what you're suffering, you know? But I was able to point out to the kids, can you believe this? I mean, look at these people. What love, what capacity to see other people, even in the midst of their own suffering. And so highlighting that to your children can help them have that picture of what it looks like. So focused on uh, the salvation of others, our last one here. Catechizing your children into why they're really here on this earth is a battle against principalities. Let me tell you, the world is communicating through every single avenue available to them that this is the time and place for their self-fulfillment. You know, if you only had this, you'd be really happy. If you only did this, you'd be really happy. My kids have uh, really struggled with sometimes the broader evangelical message that they hear, follow your dreams. And they'll say to me, that's not even biblical. Like, you're right, it's not. It takes that work of conversation, of prayer and fasting, of biographies, of scripture, integrated life in the church, and Holy Spirit ministry for our children to really understand that their lives are not their own. They're not for them. They're to be lived for others. But the way that you do that is first giving yourself sacrificially to your kids, right? It's not teaching them from the time that they're infants that they need to prioritize everybody else. It's 
we prioritized you because that was, we needed to, you were helpless. We brought you in and we cared for you. Now you're going to be able to do that for others. Um, <clears throat> the adventure of discovering in life what you're called to do and then to do it with obedience and abandon is um, just the message that we can live into with our children. So one of the ways that we do this in our home is we regularly pray for people in our lives who are far from God. And we look for opportunities to love them and to draw them in. Uh, one of these people is, is someone who we regularly have for holiday meals. And one time I stopped by her house and one of my children was with me and she was in an awful state. She was weeping, she was just beside herself. So I sent my son to the other room. I said, you know, just go in the other room and wait for me for a second, I'm gonna talk to her. And when we left, I was trying to process it with him because it was pretty drama filled. And he said, um, did you get to share the gospel with her? Is this is somebody that we prayed for every night, you know. Did you get to share the gospel with her? I was in the room praying that you would have a chance to share the gospel with her. And I was just so touched that he realized that was the solution for her needs. And they continue to pray for her. She's not a believer yet. Um, the Lord led us to take in a relative in our family who was uh, very unstable. And he lived with us on and off for several, several years. And the children got to experience living with someone who wasn't a believer. And I'm not saying God calls us all into that. We had to know we were called into it because it was also very drama-filled. But they saw the devastation of life choices lived right out. They were certainly, there was no, no rose-colored glasses on this. Um, and they saw how without changing the call of the gospel in any way, we were able to love him and, and enjoy him and, and the things that we could love uh, and, and share together. They have been praying regularly for him for 20 years. And so I just think about when he comes to the Lord, it's going to be the, the biggest, uh, most amazing thing in our home. So invite your children to lay hands on people and pray for them. Don't give them too much influence, but give them participation. Um, if we're ever gathering around somebody, come, come in and pray. Uh, when we were staying in an Airbnb in Brazil, um, our host there became a really good friend, and he's a Zen Buddhist, and we'd had many lively conversations. So when we were getting ready to leave, um, the night before we left, we said to the kids, hey, tomorrow morning we're going to ask Bilizadio if we can lay hands on him and pray for him. So we want you guys tonight to really pray and ask the Lord, would he give you a picture for him? Would he give you a scripture for him? Would, you know, whatever. And then um, if you don't have anything, that's fine. But let's ask the Lord for that. So we asked him the next day, and he said, sure. We all gathered around him, and we laid hands on him. And each of the children, you could tell the Lord had really given them a very specific thing to pray for him. So some of them, maybe it was the last verse they memorized. Who knows? <laughs> but that's, that's great. And when we were done, he just said, I don't know what just happened. That has never happened for me before in my life. I don't know if I'll ever experience it again. I, I, what was that? You know? And it was the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but it was in the context of evangelism and our children understanding this is, you can pray for anybody. You can pray for anybody. <clears throat> children need to see us prioritizing the gospel and not being ashamed of the gospel. That we know, we know it's the power of God to transform people. But they also need to see that we're not afraid of those who disagree with us and that we can love them. Um, 
So it's good for them to see us engage a server in a restaurant with interest and blessing or stop and speak to a homeless man, whatever it is, just um, to see that we can see people and really appreciate them and, and dignify them with our attention. But it's very important that we don't prioritize our children's mission over their discipleship. You can't throw a child into a hostile environment and expect them to be an evangelist when they're still being shaped and formed themselves. They will be overcome, and I've seen it happen many, many times. I worried that our children hadn't had enough exposure to evangelism, you know, because they're homeschooled, and they, the kids that haven't been homeschooled end up going to a Christian high school or something, and uh, we live our lives in the church, and most of our friends are Christian, and, you know, I thought, wow, what does this bode for the future? Are they going to... And it's actually it's something I've prayed a lot about. I realized that they are evangelizing. Like, now that they've been in a home where that was part of our ecosystem, uh, my daughter and her driver's ed teacher, she just started talking to him, and she started signing up for the same guy every time because she thought, you know, I can just keep talking to him. By the end, she had invited him to church. She had given him books over the topics they've discussed. She was praying for him, you know, and um, now in college, uh, her roommate's not a believer, and she's having a weekly Bible study with her. Um, and so I realized, okay, there are seasons and times where we see some of these things come to fruition that we want to see, and we sometimes have to wait on them. And sometimes we as parents just can't do it all either. The Lord will make sure that other people come alongside and help bring that catechesis for our children. <clears throat> helping our children look at their lives as belonging to the Lord and helping them discern calling and gifting really enlivens that, uh, the word of the psalmist in uh, Psalm 127, that children are arrows in the hands of a warrior. Um, they will go places that we never go. <clears throat> they will do works that we can never do. And that's one reason we prioritize them, is we say, wow, that my life is going to be lived out in a certain place in a certain time, but wow, I could give something to the future. I could give a person to the future, a discipled person to the future. You are our letter of recommendation. You know, and we send them places that we cannot go um, with the gospel and with um, the presence of Christ. So I want to um, close here just to say um, on, on the battle for our children, I, and I mentioned this at the beginning, and I want to bring it back. I have been really sobered, as I said, in the last uh, even couple of years, um, just with the design that Satan has on the next generation. And at Fully Alive Conference, I don't know if you guys were here, but the dream that Father Steve had of the dragon holding the baby in his mouth, I realized, oh my goodness, that is the next generation. It's the dragon just waiting to consume the next generation. We have that picture in Revelation, right? <clears throat> so we have to be on our guard, and we can't live in fear. It's hard not to live in fear, actually. Um, we can't live in fear, but we can't fall asleep either because it's like there's this castle and we're put on the watchtowers and it says we watch in vain if we're not doing it with the Holy Spirit, right? So the Lord nudges us. He gives us the discernment, but we do have to be awake and we have to be standing there and we've got the, the command of the portcullis to say, no, that's not coming in, you know? Or that's, and we need to learn the power of no. 
and we need to learn the power of yes, this is what you are invited into and it's rich. No, that is going to take away your riches. So that means very hard decisions. But as we've had to do with our children, we've had to tell them, you weren't made to feel at home in this world. You are a Christian. All over the world, people are being persecuted for their faith. We can, in our very tiny way, handle that we don't get to see that movie that everybody else sees. Or we don't get to have the iPhone when we get into eighth grade, you know? Um, and as I talk to parents, the, the thing that I'm, I'm just going to speak very clearly to is because it's a new generation, when you bring social media and technology and the internet into your home and your children have it in their hands, you have brought a presence in there that you cannot control. You do not know who is influencing your children. And we have seen very well-meaning families who have invested years in their children losing their children because of this. It's extremely serious. So I can take some pushback from my kids because I know better, you know, and, and I'm, I'm there to, to help them. And if you've established that loving relationship, they do trust you. And my kids have thanked me for things that we've said no about, but it takes a while sometimes. Um, and it's not easy to share a dumb phone with your sister, you know. Um, but you know what? <laughs> They didn't have private conversations. As, as uh, my son Christian said in high school, his, as a sophomore, he started without a phone, not because it, we meant it to happen that way, but it just did. We finally got up with the times and got him a dumb phone or an old Blackberry so that he could text us and stuff. But he said, you know, I, I just didn't get embroiled in so many drama-filled things going on with all these kids. And they knew that I hadn't read it or seen it. So they didn't expect me to weigh in, you know? And there was this freedom that he had. And, and he has lots of friends. I just want to say that this is not the determining factor of whether somebody's going to have friends or have influence or, you know, get to participate in things. So um, I think we need a renewed sense of watchfulness and of discernment. And I will tell you, my children have been attacked by the enemy as watchful as we are, as watchful as we are, they have suffered oppression from the enemy. And we have had to pray for them, fast for them, and see deliverances sometimes. And this is, it, it's, it's heavy on my heart because if my kids, who we were so watchful with, have had this, how much more are families where there's not even a Christian presence, right? or there's not a watchful parent, or there's so much drama going on between the parents that they can't, they don't have the energy to uh, be watchful for the children. So I, I deliver that in a sobering way, but I'm very hopeful because we do have the life of Jesus and the Holy Spirit who is so much greater, and he can show us and he can lead us and he can deliver us, and he can enliven us. <clears throat> and so um, we, can enter it with, we can enter this mission of children with hope, you know, and with a sense of confidence that the Lord will help us. But it doesn't mean it won't be a battle. It, it will be. So um, I am going to give us a few minutes for 
questions. Is that right? We have till 10.30. Okay. Um, so, yeah, do you have any questions? Have I fire-hosed you too much? <laughs> I, yeah. And I realize that some of you don't have children yet, so it's like uh, I knew that, I, that coming into it, I thought, okay, how do you give a vision and not overwhelm? Um, <clears throat> but hopefully these will be little seeds that go down and they can um, germinate over time. Maybe you'll remember something. Um, and let me do say to you, as you go into a world of parenting, don't just learn how to parent from your peers. That I always find that a little bit humorous. Um, like somebody who has a child that's six months older and you know instructing the other child how to be a parent, how to be a parent. Look and find people whose families you admire, you know, and go to them. How did you do it? What was important to you? What was you know? Ask and 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 uh, scripture talks about older mothers teaching younger mothers, you know, and so there's a place for that. You're not inconveniencing someone when you go up and you say, oh, "What would you do about this? I need help." Um, and then also, don't rely on parenting techniques written by people where you don't know how their children turned out. <laughs> because if you just, any philosophy can sound great, but if you don't know what their children, now not that you have to know them, but if there's not evidence of fruitfulness in what they're sharing with you, and there's not an evidence of that fully orbed, prayerful humility, you know, um, then I would be, I'd be leery of it. Um, and as, as a friend of mine said one time, you know my problem with almost all parenting books is there's just not enough in there about praying for your kids. And that is so true. Do you know that there is an answer for your child, but it may not be in any book, and you have to ask the Lord for it. And so that, that prayerful coming to the Lord about the smallest things, uh, you know, my child has this habit, and I don't know how to get them out of it. You know, and the disciplines I've used aren't working. Lord, help me. And you seek counsel, and you also ask the Lord, um, send me an answer. And it's amazing how he parents with you, because he loves those children. I give you time to think of the question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, Christina and I are preparing for our child in June. Um, we're, we're also thinking a lot about, like, Sounds like these daily rhythms that you're talking about. Um, like it would be easy for me, I think, to uh, get overwhelmed by uh, trying to think about these things ahead of time rather than just kind of like organically, organically yeah. like forming them as they come. But I'm interested to know uh, what can I do? Like what what's what's a realis realistic expectation um, that I that Christina and I could have in preparing for our child? Like what are some some like absolutely you should be thinking about these things mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. beforehand even if you don't have all the detail organic. Yeah. So the question is um, from Matt as he, as he and Christine are going into parenting, I'm just repeating this for the audio, um, as they're going into parenting, since a lot of these things are seem to be systems that come into place over time, what's important when you start out? What what's what is the most important thing to think about? So I would recommend a book called The Ministry of Parenting Your Child by Sears and Sears. It's a doctor and 
a nurse married couple. They, it's an old book, so the cover's gonna look old fashioned, I'm just warning you. Um, it's, uh, and I don't agree with everything in the book, like they don't agree with spanking, and I, I think that spanking can be really important sometimes. I think it can work if it's done correctly. But what I love about them is they, they are taking those early days of parenting, and they're talking about what is the most important thing. So what they would say is getting into a rhythm with your child. It's not one you're imposing on them. It's one that you're responsive to. And so it's not going to look like you setting up a system the first maybe even year of your life. You know, you'll find those rhythms. Like when are you going to have your coffee? That's really important. And when are you going to um, go to sleep? But if you go into it expecting my child's not gonna sleep through the night, and I shouldn't expect that. In fact, they should wake up, and he talks about this. It's, he's a doctor, he said children should wake up during the night, it's actually good for their bodies to do that. And so, you're not imposing an adult life on your child. You're, and I remember one time, uh, one of my children not sleeping, and we had trouble having children, believe it or not, and it was our first child, Madeline, and, um, she was not a good sleeper at all. I mean, I think she took 20 minute naps, it was horrible. And I remember just crying out to God because it was the early days of parenting and you're just, I've got to do this right. And I'm like, Lord, change something, do this. I can't handle this anymore, I'm so tired. And I clearly heard the Lord say, you asked for a child. What, what, how do you think they come? You know, she's not an adult. And it really helped me adjust my expectation so you don't know what your child's gonna be like. They may have colic, they may not. They actually may be a very easy sleeper. I hope so for you. I didn't have any, maybe one of my children was just enough to let me know I, maybe it wasn't all my parenting. But um, you know, they, you just don't know who you're gonna get. And so part of it is saying, the Lord's building my house, the Lord's building my family. Who did you give me? Who did you give me? Who is this person? What does this person need? And what do I have to do to adjust? I'm the adult. I can adjust. That's what, what's being asked of me. So I'm not supposed to impose an adult life on my child. So that also means being aware, when is my child overtired? When have I, when have I prioritized my schedule in such a way that my child's not getting enough sleep? Because I want to be out, you know? Um, or when, uh, when is my child just not at their best behavior because they've been so overwhelmed? We've just had so many people over or whatever and just being aware so it applies in I think a lot of areas So I would say you do not need to feel at all wrong. In fact, you should feel good about Revolving your life around your child for the first year, you know and finding those rhythms That's not you know children become narcissists as adults when they weren't given that narcissistic phase that you talk about in development has to be given its time. <laughs> they're supposed to be narcissists when they're infants. Um, so do it then so that you don't have to deal with it later. They should be have a sense that things can change for them. Um, but that, that book, Ministry of Parenting Your Child, I think can really help talk about those priorities in the, the early, I don't know if that answers your question. And, and you'll find, you'll also come into these periods where Something has to change, you know? And then you'll know, okay, I need a new system, or I need some advice, or, you know, I remember uh, 
our daughter Jillian, she's always been a terrible sleeper, but she just would not sleep and would not sleep and would not sleep. And so we actually had a date to talk about this. We're going to go out. We're going to talk about it. We started out the date praying, and I think she was two years old, or, you know, and I was really surprised by what the Lord did in our time. We were going to make all these charts for her to sleep through the night, and what the Lord said to us was, she needs to be closer to you, not further away from you. It's like, whoa, okay. And so Stuart started sleeping with her in another room. I couldn't because I had an infant, but, and, you know, it changed her. It changed her. So it's, it's also that sense of when you realize something needs to change, you can respond to that and ask the Lord, what's the advice I need at this point to change it? And, you know, if, if the mom is totally strung out and, you know, life is not working, something has to change. It doesn't mean that you can't tweak something in your life because you have to revolve around the baby, you know. <laughs> you don't, it's not going to help the baby for the mom to be in depression or, you know. You know, yesterday, uh, my ministry of sixth graders, uh, sixth grade boys, uh, they were just being crazy. And I'm just trying to do this Bible study. And, we're, you know, it took us 10 minutes just to find the passage. And, and I'm trying to ask them questions. And then I just, like, exacerbated. I said, you boys are being so difficult tonight. And John Paul Merrick turns to me and he's like, didn't you know what you were signing up for? <laughs> He's like, you're the one who wanted to work with children. This is, this is working with children. And I was like, is the spirit of the Lord speaking? To me? It was just such a funny moment. I thought, you're right. <laughs> That's right. But then you learn, too, to do things like, you know, nobody can have sugar before you come to this, meeting, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. gathering here. Oh, man. That's where the system comes in, right? That's great. Anybody else have a... How do you see your role with the friends of your children? Oh, great question. How do you see the role with the friends of your children? That's a hard one. Because especially if you want your children to engage with unbelievers in the neighborhood, what do you do? Uh, we used to have this boy that would come over to our house, and he would bully our, our kids in the yard. They would be playing and they would bully him. We actually had somebody on our street move to get away from a family next door to them that was they couldn't get away from, you know. Well, it's just a, a very hard balance. I think you try to get those kids inside your home so that you can oversee it and you can be engaged. If you can't do that, you set boundaries. Like, you know, you can come play in our yard, but you can't talk like that to my kids. And, and sometimes they just don't want to follow your rules, so they'll go away. Um, but in terms of who you invite into the close circles of your family life, I think that needs to be done in discernment. And I do think that there needs to be a place for people who aren't exactly like you, who don't parent the exact same way that you do, and you process that with your children. You know, we don't talk like that, or we you can't speak to me that way, or, or whatever. At the same time, you watch what's happening to your children. You know, are they being overly influenced by this presence? And I need to set more of a boundary. So we had some friends where we would say, they can play at our house, but you can't play at their house. You know, and that was just the way it was. Um, or you can very, very rarely do we let our kids sleep over at someone else's house. We had to know that we knew that we knew that there would be total safety. Because I've, I've worked in circles long enough in pastoral circles when very close friends, kids, would get molested by, you know, a, a teenager in that family or whatever. 
Um, so I don't know if that's like going more extreme than what you were thinking, but do you want to back up that question a little bit? Like, is there, am I responding to it? Yeah. And um, the, the nature of what you're asking. Have you read The Gospel Comes with the House Key by Rosario? Yeah, well, I'm in the middle of it, actually. Okay. I love that book. And she talks a yes. lot about having like all the neighborhood kids over. And I love the idea of that. And I feel like I imagine myself almost wanting to parent other kids when mm -hmm. I know that they're coming from struggling families. And I want to be able to create that place of hospitality where they feel welcome and yes. safe in my home, but without overstepping the boundaries that their parents have. Yes. Um, so I don't know if you've had experience right. with that. Okay, so I would say that other people that uh, are friends of mine have done it better than I have because our lives have been so involved in ministry here. But we had neighbors, um, there was a boy in the neighborhood that was always at large. You know, he's always riding his bike. He's, he's obviously not being parented. And so um, during the summer, it was Jen Underwood, you guys, knew her she, they used to be in our church but they moved but anyway she said um, to this boy you just come have lunch at our house every single day during the summer and so what she did is she would have a very very short bible study like a bible story before lunch and they he would have lunch there and their kids would go ride bikes or whatever um i've uh, i have another friend who on their whole block she had this thing that every first snowfall or maybe it was every snowfall when they had a snow day from school, she would make cinnamon rolls for all the kids in the neighborhood. And they just knew they could come over for cinnamon rolls. Um, and so it became sort of this hub. And I, I think that's amazing. I think you have more control over it if you're the host, you know, than kids going another. But I do think you have to keep, uh, Amy, you were saying to me the other day how you have to have this policy when your son goes to somebody's house, you cannot be on any screens when you're over there. Yeah, just no screens, because you don't know what they're gonna get, right? So you have to have certain policies like that, I think, um, that that help set some boundaries and you can bring more control. But I, I think, obviously knowing where the boundary is, you know, for, uh, I had a neighbor ask me to, to homeschool her son because he was struggling in school. And I really had to ask the Lord, is this what you're calling me to do? I saw it, it could be an amazing ministry. But the more I looked at it, I just thought, that's actually not what God's calling me to do right now, but I helped her get set up in another situation. Um, but I think we have to discern that and, and, and just be aware of our own, yeah, am I taking over the parenting of this child where it's not my responsibility or I am I really um, giving them something that will bloom and grow in their lives over time um, and I think if the parents are okay with them being in your home you're probably <laughs> I would pour it in you know pour in that love of Christ and the gospel and yeah that's a beautiful it's a beautiful vision I've been challenged by that book the, the gospel comes with a house key yeah. anybody else Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely.